everyone. My name is Arijit. I'm the vice chair of the IEEE Power Electronics Society Digital Media and Education Committee and a faculty at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. Uh, with me, I have my colleague, Dr. Kristen Booth. Hi, it's uh, nice to talk to everyone today. I'm also a member of the Digital Media and Education Committee and a faculty at the University of South Carolina. And today we are having a conversation with a very special guest, Professor Thomas Jans. He is the Granger Professor of Power Electronics and Electrical Machines at the University of Wisconsin and Madison. Welcome, Professor Jans. Thank you so much for joining us in this podcast. We are so excited to have you here and talk about research, teaching, and some philosophical aspects about our profession. Well, thanks so much, Arjit. It's really a, a great uh, privilege, and and uh, thank you for the invitation to participate in, in this uh, podcast. So, so to begin with, uh, if you can tell us a little bit about your experience working as a graduate student at MIT, how was it? Was it really drinking from the fire hose? Uh, how was our beloved Lee's at that time, uh, the laboratory for electromagnetic and electronic systems back then? It's uh, great that you raise uh, that question because it takes me back to uh, to quite a number of years ago. It's it's uh, hard to believe that it, that it's uh, uh, back in the late uh, mid to late seventies when when I uh, was spending time in in the Boston area, and uh, it, it was an exciting time. It was a time uh, exciting time just to be in the Boston area because there was a, a Vietnam War uh, and I. Uh, uh, protest student activism was at its at its height, so it made for a very interesting time to uh, to to be there. Uh, to your point about drinking from the wire, uh, drinking from a fire hose, I can uh, assure you is as much true then as it as it is now. That that I don't think is uh, has ever changed and probably won't change in the, in the future. And as far as the uh, uh, laboratory leads that both you and I share some heritage and in, in, in common, it it was uh, obviously it was a. Uh, uh, Different uh, point in its in its history from from uh, when you uh, became familiar with it, but it was a very formative time. Uh, uh, John Kasakian and and Jim Kirtley were both very young professors just appearing on this on the scene and, and just beginning their their careers. Of course, hard for a lot of us, uh, probably for younger people, to imagine who have run into them, given the fact that they're now kind of elder statesmen. But they uh, uh, it was exciting to be be working around them. It was a time of the first quote unquote energy crisis in the in, in the country and that really formed a backdrop that was uh, really inspiring to a lot of us and and from a technology standpoint it was really the the, the time when the first very first generation of uh, fully controlled power switches the power bipolar transistors are first starting to appear on the on on the scene and so that really was you know it, by today's standards it was pretty primitive stuff but it really uh, compared to the thyristors that that were landmark events uh, devices in their own regards the appearance of the power transistors really heralded uh, the dawn of the power electronics world that we think about today and led, you know, within the next uh, uh, 10 years uh, to the, all of the moss-gated uh, power devices that we uh, have come to know and love and still play critical roles in our in our lives today. So it was a really exciting time to be there, and I, it was really a privilege to have an opportunity to work with the faculty as well as a lot of the students. I mean, incredibly uh, uh, bright and, and clever people who left their own marks on, uh, on the industry over the last uh, 50 years as well. That's amazing. And it really has been a, a, a major change in, in our lives. Uh, everything we touch definitely is is revolving around these things. So your PhD uh, thesis was entitled Improve Reliability in Solid State Drives for Large Asynchronous AC Machines by Means of Multiple Independent Phase Drive Units. How did you come up with the core ideas for your thesis? Well, actually, like uh, in a lot of um, uh, relationships between uh, students uh, and their uh, advisors, uh, uh, my advisor at the time, Alex Cusco, who really is a name that perhaps not many people know today, but he was really was uh, uh, one of the early pioneers of, of solid state uh, uh, power electronics. He was uh, uh, involved in a lot of different activities, but one of them was actually uh, auxiliary equipment 
equipment for nuclear power plants of all things. And that uh, and the, the pumps that they need for those are critical elements. Uh, if they go down, it really uh, can represent a, a crisis of uh, major proportions if under a worst case scenario. So the issue of how to develop those in a way to make them as reliable as possible. Of course, one approach is just to have redundant pumps, to have multiple channels, and, and that certainly was very viable. But the question came up, is there some way to make the machine and its drive itself more reliable? Uh, is there a way to build the redundancy right into the machine? I was new to machines at the time, and, and so, I mean, that was a revelation to even think about that, but it was a, but it was a real challenge, and, and, uh, and really led to, you know, to me to wrestle with ideas that have uh, played a role in my, uh, you know, really throughout my uh, uh, career and even, uh, even to this day uh, still is a, uh, is, is a topic that uh, resonates uh, because of the fact that the, uh, despite the fact that we're, you know, 50 years on the issue of reliability, I mean, really long-term reliability is just so critical if we're ever going to be serious about getting uh, electric machines and drives into propulsion for aircraft. Uh, that really is kind of the poster child of uh, for applications that demand uh, uh, the highest levels of reliability. And how we can do that using the uh, power electronics is a real challenge. And, and some of the concepts that uh, I was wrestling with then are, are as uh, uh, valuable and important today as they were uh, uh, back then. It's amazing to see the kernel of integrated machine drives back in 1978. So let me ask you one more question on this. Uh, what was the most challenging part of the thesis? And how did your doctoral research influence your later research activities, both in industry and academia? Well, it, it really has uh, played, uh, I feel very fortunate, uh, you know, we all wonder sometimes how we get, uh, follow the paths that we do, and sometimes it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a uh, bit of serendipity and, and the opportunity to work on a project like this uh, really has uh, played a role in, in, in my career uh, to this day. Um, some of the work that I'm involved in doing uh, right now in, involves some of those same concepts. In terms of what was particular challenge, I mean, for me personally, it was, uh, it was as I mentioned, I was new to electric machines. So the that whole project really forced me <clears throat> for the first time to really um, embed myself in, in the details of learning how AC machines work and their theory and to go beyond the, you know, just the kind of the first uh, level of, uh, you know, DQ analysis, but to really try to understand its, um, uh, its generalization to um, uh, high phase number machines. And that was just such a, a, a journey and, and such a revelation to recognize uh, how rich and how elegant the, uh, uh, the theory is, you know, to understand how concepts of symmetrical components and, and uh, uh, concepts of DQ analysis and all of these different, uh, different techniques that we uh, learn today are all interrelated uh, and, and really uh, can be generalized to cases where number of phases can be any number. And so that was a personal challenge for me, but a very enriching one to uh, wrestle with that. Another limitation of the time, and you'll probably uh, smile at this because I'm dating myself, but uh, at that time, digital computers were just coming of age. You know, IBM was the uh, mainframe uh, that we all kind of bowed down to. And uh, boy, I certainly recall uh, the uh, pilgrimage that I would make uh, at the end of every afternoon with my latest uh, deck of uh, punch cards to uh, to take to the uh, to the center where they would be dutifully processed overnight and it was just so unforgiving this was the days of Fortran and and the, that was the latest and greatest uh, 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 programming that we had uh, had available and it was just so unforgiving you know one comma that should have been a period or whatever meant that that whole day was <laughs> was lost and it meant that you get to had to could come back a day later and, and turn it in and and just finding out what was wrong uh, the idea of error messages to say oh you have a mistake in in line whatever that was a novel thought at that time and so it was up to you to learn how to be a, a detective to track those things down so uh, things that we now 
just take for granted uh, were, were really challenges at that time. But again, very enriching ones and very uh, formative for me in terms of trying to understand. And and uh, and I I really feel that that was uh, uh, an exciting time in my in my life to have the opportunity to uh, focus attention for an extended period of time on a on a project like that, particularly since it has. Uh, uh, played a role in a variety of different ways, uh, as I say, right down to uh, today and the things that I'm, I'm doing in my current research. Well, and that's a great segue into my next question. So if we move on to your professional career, you worked for 15 years at GE Corporate R&D and then joined the University of Wisconsin at Madison in 1988. Why'd you decide to make this transition? Well, it's again. It's a bit of serendipity and and uh, um, and some events that were going on at the time, and just uh, a stage in my own career. You know, working at GE for the 15 years that I did was a tremendous experience. I wouldn't trade it for anything. The the caliber of uh, of other engineers and scientists that I had the privilege of, of working with, and a variety not only electrical engineering but in all of the other disciplines, um, and the kinds of projects that I worked on uh, were just uh, uh, in, incredibly valuable to uh, to me and. And uh, I, I really feel very fortunate to have spent uh, the time that I did there. However, one thing that you learn about working for a company is at the end of the day, it's not a democracy. It, uh, it's run from the top. And although they go to great lengths to listen to uh, you know, engineers and scientists, ultimately uh, the limits on one's ability to really follow one's own uh, muses in terms of pursuing new ideas uh, faces limits. And so I, it was at mid-career and I started to have some of those uh, feelings that, uh, hey, um, you know, what about some of these ideas I'd like to pursue that that did not fit in to the uh, uh, to the priorities of the company at that at that time, and so that set off a, a series of, of of events that uh, was also a bit of serendipity in in uh, in the sense that uh, Professor Don Novotny, who is one of the co-founders of Wempec, was just in the process of of retiring, opened up uh, um, an opening at for a new faculty member at the university. University of Wisconsin. And so, you know, it was a case of, as I think a lot of us are fortunate enough in our, in our careers, at times the planets just kind of uh, stars and the planets align. And it just was an opportunity to make that uh, leap, which is was not easy then and is not easy today, I'm afraid to say. I wish it were easier for, uh, uh, for engineers uh, to make the move forward and backward. I mean, from uh, from uh, industry into academia, which is the way that I went, but also in the other direction. I really think there's a, a incredible value in our field uh, for the ability to, to, uh, to do that. But in my case, I, I was fortunate enough to be able to make that leap. And uh, it, it really uh, uh, opened up, uh, you know, incredibly important uh, new chapter in my own uh, career because I'm a hybrid. About half of my career was spent in industry and half in academia, and, and it was uh, very enriching for me personally, and I've tried to to take advantage of that and, and uh, use that to inform me as I in my academic life. That's that's really amazing. So so to follow up on that, uh, over this illustrious period of 42 years, you have worked on numerous projects, be it in GER in Wisconsin, and and multiple ideas. So uh, can you briefly talk about one or two of those that made you happy after solving it? So getting that feeling like ah, this is so elegant and beautiful, your eureka moment. <laughs> it's uh, interesting the way you uh, uh, ask that question because you know when we think of the stereotype of Eureka, what do we think of? We think of a light bulb uh, turning on. Well, believe it or not, I literally had that experience, and it was very early in my uh, career. I was a co-op student at GE and what is now their Global Research Center. At that time, it was called Corporate R and D, and I was, you know, a young student. It was in like my junior year. I was still learning my way about what uh, electrical engineering was. Much Let's uh, uh, power electronics, but it was I was learning literally on the job as a as a co-op student, and the and the opportunity that I had was really an intriguing one. This uh, there was a 
physicist there who is working on filamentless uh, uh, fluorescent machine, uh, fluorescent bulbs. That is, you can think of them as almost like donuts filled with plasmas that, that form a secondary on a transformer. And uh, the issue was how could we, using uh, the best uh, high-frequency power electronics at the time, which high-frequency at that time meant uh, between 10 and 20 uh, kilohertz with uh, power, uh, uh, power transistors, how could we uh, use them to uh, serve as the uh, as the ballast for uh, uh, for these lamps? But of course, you have to strike the arc. You have to ignite that uh, uh, with using a high voltage it takes to break down that and uh, the plasma and initiate the arc. And once it does strike, uh, it then becomes a, uh, acts as a negative resistance. And negative resistance for a young electrical engineer <laughs> was a, a pretty uh, head scratching kind of idea. Um, I had an opportunity to work on that. And literally, I was fiddling around with a, uh, uh, a circuit that is not used much now. It's a Royer um, uh, uh, inverter circuit, push-pull transformer uh, and two-switch two circuit. And it uses uh, L's and C's to kind of uh, perform, uh, to self-resonate and to, uh, uh, to set its frequency. And keeping the story short is, is the fact that uh, I was fiddling around with this. I was given the challenge, is there a way to do this? And literally, I, I decide, well, I'll try this connection, and I flipped the switch, and it truly was that eureka moment. Not only did the, uh, the, did the bulb, the, the, the plasma ignite, but it actually ballasted itself uh, uh, in a you know, in a stable form. And I, I couldn't believe it. It was literally uh, a eureka moment that, that I'll never forget uh, and, and really uh, uh, helped really excite me about the whole idea of, of working in, in this field. And uh, just... I'll take it to the present in terms of uh, some re more recent work that I've done. Um, I can remember work that I did in uh, not long after I arrived at uh, at UW that I actually was working with my graduate student at the time, uh, Ayman Al-Rafai, who now is a professor in his own right at Marquette University. And we were we were struggling with the issue of fractional slot concentrated winding PM machines. I mean, those are machines, we, it was not our idea by a long shot, but the idea of trying to understand how they work and how we could really harness that technology Really, I can remember some <laughs> some sad moments when we were ready to give up in terms of ever being able to crack that problem. But again, there were you know it's it it I think it happens to all of us who are really working in this field. We just have those few eureka moments when things seem darkest that all of a sudden uh, it is like a light bulb going on. And for us, it was you know the insight into the fact that it wasn't the fundamental uh, component uh, of the ro rotating magnetic field. It was the harmonic the fifth or the seventh spatial harmonic, which, uh, you know, was actually the uh, so-called synchronous component. I mean, now for anybody working in this area, it's like, yeah, of course. But uh, at the time, that was a really uh, a valuable insight that we uh, had. And it really opened the door for us in terms of really understanding how to harness what those machines could do. And it really uh, was an exciting time that uh, that I really look back with in, in fondness in terms of some of the doors that opened and, and uh, uh, and some of the uh, ramifications it still has to this day-to-day. Uh, uh, -day. Those aha moments are, are definitely what I think keep most of us in this field and keep driving for more. And I know we have plenty of obstacles as well. Uh, so how has your own experiences as graduate student and then when you went into industrial research, how has that shaped your role as a PhD advisor to get these students through those really great moments and maybe some of those more difficult moments? Well, I certainly, uh, as I already alluded to, my experience in uh, academia and industry really has had a major impact on my uh, uh, career and really my whole outlook on uh, on, on research. Because I, as I mentioned, it was about 50-50 in terms of the way that it worked out. So it really did uh, uh, instill in me uh, an outlook on, on research that really is highly uh, uh, inspired by applications. And power electronics is a field that, uh, um, that is is really driven by its application. I mean, one of the things that made me excited when I first was exposed to power electronics, and I still am today, is the fact that it really is the critical glue technology that opens the door to linking together so many different types of power sources and energy storage, whether it be electric machines or batteries or 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 
any of uh, uh, incredible range of, of different uh, uh, applications of, of uh, that we know today uh, as being where power electronics used. I mean, it, it's more important than ever and is really at, in, in the process of revolutionizing our whole electric grid. And uh, of course, these things don't happen overnight. And so the issue of how to um, uh, work with students to try to help them um, inspire them to uh, to seek new solutions by by first of all being a good listener to really try to understand what the problems are where are the roadblocks that uh, that really are, are preventing us to from from reaching our uh, objectives uh, in, in this in this field and I think by at least for me and I think for a lot of my students by taking that uh, that approach of, uh, of of really trying to understand what the, where are those roadblocks and what what does that how does that uh, where does that point us in terms of of opportunity for solutions and in order to overcome those roadblocks I think that that, that served has served me very well in my career and I, I try to instill that in my students as, as well uh, kind of complementing that I, I one of the things I really learned in industry is the uh, importance of, of cooperative teamwork uh, and really uh, on a focus on integration of technologies in other words it, it, universities tend to have the effect of forcing us to be more specialists I mean that's often the tendency of the way that a lot of universities work because they are grouped in terms of silos of electrical engineering, mechanical engineering, but in a field that we work in, I mean, those boundaries uh, get in the way. I mean, we really need to find ways to, to really get through those breaks down those walls and find ways to to find where those different technologies come together. And I think really that's where a lot of the, the tremendous opportunities for breakthroughs today come from. It's at those boundaries between the technologies. And, and that's another lesson that I try to instill in, in uh, uh, my students and continue to practice what I preach in terms of the way that I try to uh, approach the, the, the field in, in my continuing research. That's just fascinating. And I think the next question I have is very much related to what you just said. And uh, so let me let me ask you this. Uh, WEMPEC, the Wisconsin Electric Machines and Power Electronics Consortium, has been one of the makers for students interested in power electronics, drives and machines. And let me tell you that I always wish to be there as a graduate student in my career. So uh, what is there about WEMPEC that has made it so special place for you since you arrived there 23 years ago? Well, first of all, thanks, Roger. Uh, appreciate the kind words about WEMPEC because it really has uh, been a major force in my life. I mean, I've I've only been there for uh, 23 years of its 40-year history, but actually my association with WEMPEC goes back to really earliest days of my career. Uh, the company that I was working for at the time, uh, Gould, uh, uh, Gould Laboratories in, in uh, the Chicago area, was one of the first crop of uh, of companies that became sponsors of WEMPEC uh, uh, low these uh, 40 years ago. And um, and I actually had the privilege of attending the very first uh, 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 WEMPEC annual meeting, and I'm still attending them today. I, I can't say I've attended all of them, but I've had a, a linkage with WEMPEC uh, throughout its 40-year history and through the last 20, you know, last 22 years, uh, uh, very, very highly in, involved as a faculty member. But what really has made it most special has been the uh, uh, the faculty and the students that I've had the privilege of working with there. I mean, you know, individuals like uh, professors Tom Lippo and Don Novotny were the two co-founders of WEMPEC. Tom Lippo, uh, as, as many of in the audience may be aware, passed away uh, uh, really regret, uh, regrettably over the course of, of just this, this last year. And uh, and the contributions that he made uh, were truly inspiring. Uh, I, I my own career has been uh, one way or another influenced him from by him by from my very earliest days. Uh, uh, he was at GE when I first uh, arrived there as a co-op student, although I didn't really get to know him there. Little did I realize that I would, uh, you know, years after that be uh, working as a as as a, a fellow faculty member in the same uh, university, uh, you know, uh, 20 
20 plus uh, years uh, later. So uh, things, you know, there, there are some very special people. The two of them are among them, but certainly uh, Bob Lorenz, uh, who uh, passed away two years ago, and, and the impact that he's had in the areas of control of electric machines and probably most closely associated with the concept of self-sensing of electric machines and the thought that, hey, electric machine is more than just an electromechanical energy converter. Think of it as a sensor and how can we design it to simultaneously serve as a highly efficient, highly uh, power dense uh, um, electromechanical energy converter, but at the same time instill in it the properties to make it a high performance uh, sensor. And so those sorts of concepts, uh, you know, were really uh, key to his effort. And, and finally, I also want to give credit to to, uh, uh, to Bob Lasseter, who I had the opportunity to, to work with over the course of the last several years. He really was one of the pioneers of the microgrid concept. Uh, and, uh, and, and he, for Ever since then, including to this day, where he's still active as an emeritus uh, faculty member, he's always been uh, uh, at the very leading edge, always thinking uh, of, of uh, concepts that really uh, are ahead of their of their time. And so it's really been a privilege to work with them. And the students that I've worked with have just been incredible. I won't attempt to, to, to name them, but I just feel incredibly privileged to have worked with them and, and, to, and to have... Uh, um, had the opportunity to uh, to since that time uh, follow their their own careers and the things that they've achieved in their in their own right. What a great background and and Wimpec because sounds like such a great team to work with and I know I've I've had some experiences with that in the past and um, but to focus I guess a little bit on you uh, you were talking about how everyone else has really influenced you but I would say that you've been a pioneer in power electronics and drives education. So if you don't mind, because I'm teaching electric machines this semester, can you share some of your sp perspectives on the pedagogy specific to power electronics, machines and drives? Uh, that is critical to keep the field exciting and inspire the next generation. That's a really good question, and, and uh, I, I think that uh, the answer I'm going to give is consistent with some of the issues that I've already uh, raised. Uh, one of the things that I've found uh, most effective in terms of really trying to capture the imaginations of uh, students, particularly those who are uh, brand new to the field. And that's one of the challenges for all of us is how do we, let's face it, compete against the latest and greatest technologies. It's kind of ironic that one of those that we're competing against is machine learning. So it has machines in its name, but it's obviously a very different uh, field. But you know, there's always been hot technologies at, a, uh, at any given time, whether it's bio, nano, you know, artificial intelligence, and it'll always be that way. So the issue, how do you take a, a field like ours built around machines, which have been around for, uh, uh, you know, for 150 years. How do you, how do you make those exciting? And, and at least in my experience, it, it's really the issue of linking them to applications. I mean, there's just a, a lot of undergraduates uh, who are excited uh, about the concept of a greener society and, and very concerned as they rightfully should be, as all of us should be, about the issues of, of uh, climate change and, and our, our carbon footprint and what we can do about that. Well. As we know, I mean, uh, there's a lot that electric uh, power electronics can bring to bear in terms of addressing those issues. Certainly, the electrification of transportation is is something that uh, uh, you know gets young people excited. The idea of, of of whether it be a Tesla or or any other of the new hot uh, uh, EVs that are coming on the market. I mean, that's something that uh, that students can get excited about. Windmills, wind turbines, you know, is something that that uh, again rightfully can get excited about if you're ever in the presence standing next to one of those things it's truly is an inspiring kind of uh, event and and um and and so i've done that um uh, i've used that as uh if you will as a guiding principle probably the best one i can uh, point to is actually an undergraduate uh, course in introduction to re uh 
renewable energy and applications of electrical engineering in that field. Uh, I taught it uh, for approximately 14 years. And the way that I organized that course right from the beginning is to interleave the introduction of the uh, uh, of whatever the technology is, uh, say wind turbines, uh, introduce the concept of wind turbines and the role it's already playing and can play in the future of electric power as a clean source of energy. But then to say, okay, we've got this uh, spinning blades, uh, turbine blades, what do we do now? We've got to convert that into electricity. And, and so that is an opportunity to inspire and students who you know really have had no exposure to, to the concept, hardly any exposure to the concept of electric machines to say, well, there's an electric machine in there and it's a form typically of an induction machine, a special kind of doubly fed in, uh, induction machine, but it's an induction machine. And so let's learn about those and, and figure out how it is that that rotary uh, motion gets converted into electrical power. And so it's that approach that I, uh, used in terms of working through different uh, forms. I mean, you know, introduce solar PV, and of course, again, it produces low voltage DC. How do you convert that into high voltage AC? And so that is a great entree into the world of power electronics and, and uh, its role, a critical role in converting one form of electric power into another. So the, the idea of linking our, uh, the, what we're teaching to the applications and, and inspiring, I found it to be very effective. I, I really have had some occasions where students have approached me. This is a junior, senior level course, but a student would approach me and say, this has been incredible. This is the first time that I that I really have started to see where all of the stuff that I've been learning for the last uh, three years actually has real world applications. And I think as instructors, those are the moments that we all take great satisfaction from when we uh, feel like we were finally getting through, maybe not to all the students, but at least to some subset of them. And and uh, and I think it, for me, it's been a template of uh, that I think that that I hope can be uh, useful for others and I'm sure is already being used. But I think it's one that's very important for us to employ if we're going to attract the best and the brightest and really uh, uh, move them to the you know, front of the line in terms of the next generation of, uh, of uh, experts in our field. I think you hit the nail on the head with that one. Um, you've got to keep them excited, want to draw them in, keep them going. And that really works well at the classroom level. But how can PELS do a better job to continue to stimulate interest in electric machines and drives uh, as we continue on in the next you say decade well that really is a, a an interesting and important question and and I think it it really uh, again uh, is linked to, to some of the concepts that have already have, have uh, mentioned in particular um, it, it really is incredible I mean what a, a critical role that uh, electric machines uh, play in our lives and but a lot of it is uh, unseen I mean we wouldn't have lights on in our room right now if it weren't for electric machines that are is generating that electricity but of course very few of us really have the opportunity to stand in the presence of those machines and really understand that and that's true with so many things I mean I'll bring back the issue of electric uh, uh, vehicle I mean it's it's exciting, but uh, as far as where is the machine, you know, it's buried inside, and and it's uh, um, and and that often, uh, I mean, those of us in the field know exactly what makes those uh, vehicles uh, move and do what they do, and and how critically it depends on electric machines and and high performance uh, power electronics. But for somebody who's new to this, uh, really, that really is not the first thing that they think about. It really is a uh, uh, it's it's one aspect of power electronics is is that it's it's an embedded technology. People don't buy an electric vehicle because it has power electronics in it, but yet power electronics is one of the key enabling technologies. And I really think that uh, organizations like IEEE can play a role in helping more young people, more people in the public in general, but but in particular young people to to actually have that eureka moment that yes, I mean, there is 
really exciting technology there. And yes, it does trace back to and its roots to uh, uh, machines that have been around for 150 years, but but there's exciting new things that are going on. And I think that right now, for instance, the, uh, the concept, it still has a ways to go, but the concept of moving to electric propulsion of aircraft is one that uh, I think can, can be used to uh, really excite a lot of young minds. And excites mind to uh, imagine what it's going to take to build uh, electric machines and power electronics of the of the power density and the reliability that's going to be needed to, to achieve that kind of application. I think that that's uh, something that can inspire uh, both, uh, you know, the newcomers, uh, the uh, individuals, uh, students who are just uh, learning about the concept of power electronics for the first time, but also excite those of us who have been in this field for a long time and, and uh, some of the challenges we still face in terms of how we can design electric machines and power electronics to uh, reach these uh, kinds of applications that we've only been able to dream of in the past. That's really fascinating. Uh, so let's change the gear a little bit. And I think this is a little bit more personal question, Professor, here. So what gives you the highest sense of satisfaction in your professional career? A research problem that you have solved? Or when you see so many students coming out of WEMPEC, coming out of your research group, who went on to build their career following your footsteps? Well, that's it's uh, interesting to think about that, uh, and I and I think really the answer is both. You know, I mean, I I really feel very fortunate to have uh, had an opportunity to get involved in some technologies uh, uh, at a time when when so much was coming together. I mean, I first got involved with permanent magnet machines, which have played a, a long-term role in, in, my, uh, uh, in my own professional career at a time when neodymium iron magnets were first appearing on the, on the scene. Uh, IGBTs were still a relatively a new kid on the, uh, on, 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 on the block. And the whole concept of permanent magnet machines was, uh, uh, was not fully understood. I mean, at the time, I remember well at the time, uh, remember Don Novotny, uh, you know, who I respect a lot uh, at that time was saying, you know, permanent magnet machines or machines that you can kind of pick up in one hand, you know, and that was certainly the, the case at that time. But here we are uh, 30 years uh, later and and uh, and now there's machines, <laughs> permanent magnet machines that will fill the room that we're uh, sitting in uh, and, and the technology has come so far. So there clearly is a lot of satisfaction. I had the opportunity to get uh, involved in, in interior PM machines. Uh, uh, again, I make no claim to have invented per interior permanent magnet machines, but the opportunity to get involved with them and to recognize that uh, that the potential that they that they held and uh, and to help uh, uh, uncover some of the again mysteries that they held as far as how to extract the performance. Uh, little did I know that you know that those machines uh, would go on to play the you know the dominant role that they do in passenger EVs at, at least uh, uh, as the uh, uh, basic. Uh, uh, motive force for the for those and and so it's it's been a a, a a great opportunity to to be involved in that technology and to watch it grow and watch it continue to grow today in the uh, aerospace realm where we're facing new challenges but at the same time uh, working with the students has been uh, an incredible uh, opportunity and source of source of satisfaction to watch them blossom over the course of the for the PhD students over the five or years or so roughly that I have an opportunity to interact with them it just really is incredible uh, uh, you know it, just in general the young people at that time go through such uh, changes when they're in their late teens into their early to mid twenties and and to help to play a role in that uh, to to help point them in the right direction and inspire try to inspire them to develop their uh, their gifts in ways that will allow them to reach their uh, full potential. I mean, that's for any faculty member. I, I, it's hard to imagine that there's any of us uh, who don't feel a great source of satisfaction in those cases where we really feel like we have made that kind of contribution to help young people uh, get move on their way and move out into the world and uh, really leave their own impact. And, and some of those go on to be professors like you, Arjit, and, and, and uh, have your own generation of students. So it, it really is a, a, an opportunity to, to give back to the industry 
industry uh, and the whole field in a way that that really has uh, uh, been a source of incredible satisfaction and, and one that I feel very fortunate to have been involved in during the last uh, uh, 20 plus years. And we've definitely seen the uh, area of power electronics grow from all of us having these students go through and take on their their new career paths after they leave the university. And so I have to ask, uh, we've seen an emergence and exponential growth in IEEE Power Electronics Society. How has this society helped you in your professional career? Oh, it's 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 really had a, a big impact. Uh, again, I, I feel fortunate that I was uh, came of age early in my career, uh, just at about the time when the Power Electronics Society was uh, was formed. Um, although I wasn't one of the make no claim to be one of the, uh, the the original founders of the society. It wasn't too long after that that I started to get involved. It was actually through the APEC conference that uh, uh, that I took on more responsibilities and actually was the uh, general chair of that conference back in uh uh, 1992 when <laughs> it was hard to believe we were trying to break out of the box of having only like 20 exhibitors uh, and we were so excited that year I think we got up between uh, 30 and 40 uh, exhibitors and it was such a thrill little did I realize that you know that uh, that conference would go on to uh, where the number of exhibitors in the, is in the hundreds uh, uh, so it, it the, but where, in terms of the impact on my own uh, career, it really is through the the the, the people that I met, uh, the, the the people that I that I met through uh, participation in leadership activities, uh, some incredible people from all around the world that uh, that I had the uh, good fortune of meeting, many of whom I, I have the pleasure of of, of uh, having as as uh, lifelong acquaintances and and friends, and and the opportunities that they've provided me to. Uh, uh, to learn from them, in many cases, to visit their uh, uh, their own laboratories and place of employment to to uh, get that kind of insight. Uh, um, you know, IEEE and PELS is all about lifelong learning, and I think it's there for the taking. And and for anybody who uh, uh, can recognize that and really embrace it, I, I think that uh, there's no doubt that IEEE overall and PELS in particular can be an incredible uh, force for good in terms of helping to uh, uh, to develop young people's uh, careers. That's amazing. That's amazing. I would truly agree with that. And uh, I think uh, like for all of us, PELS has been a tremendous pillar for us to take the support and learn from our predecessors and follow the pioneers like you, Professor Jans here. So, oh. <laughs> so let, let me tell you one secret here. So one of my most favorite book uh, in electric machines, power electronics area, particularly electric machines, is Introductory Electromechanics uh, from Wembeck, so from Professor Novotny. I think that book is just incredible. It's out of print, I think, right now, but yes, that yes. book is just amazing. I have one copy, and I think uh, it's like my Bible, to be honest with you. So let me tell you, the reason I'm telling you why about this book is this pandemic has forced us, like all our as instructors and educators around the globe, to come up with solutions with remote instructions. It's that traditional way of going into a classroom, interacting with students has been like almost very, very difficult now. So we would like to hear your perspective about how we can get students engaged in such a remote learning environment. Uh, that is a real challenge uh, in, in our area because it is uh, ultimately having so many uh, uh, aspects that, that are um, tied to applications. Uh, I would say in many ways it, it's a hands-on technology. At least you want to, to be able to link the, uh, the theory, which is critically important, to link that to uh, actually getting into the lab and doing things. I mean, there's only so much you can learn about power electronics. So where you really learn is when you get out, out on the bench and, and understand just how nonlinear and cantankerous <laughs> some of those uh, power electronics can uh, can be. And so that always has been a, a major theme at uh, WEMPEC and at, at a lot of other major universities. I know it's true at, at Illinois as, as well. So I think part of the special challenge that, that we have is how, despite the fact that we're teaching remotely, how can we still find ways to to give students uh, that opportunity to have that that uh, linkage to hands-on experience and that is really tough and uh, I don't 
claim to be a pioneer in this area myself, but I, I do learn a lot in particular by working with my uh, uh, faculty colleague, Gary Venkatramanan. So I'd like to give him a shout out because he really has been uh, uh, pursuing pathways of, of putting together uh, kits uh, that, that are very thoughtfully developed to be inexpensive, robust, you know, uh, if not totally unbreakable, at least uh, uh, something that, that can be both safe, but yet uh, highly instructive to put in the hands of, of students, despite the fact that they're scattered uh, around the, the world. Uh, and, and, uh, and I think that that can be uh, properly done, can be in incredibly effective. He's now in the process uh, of trying to uh, uh, consider, and I'm trying to help him uh, uh, think about how this can be extended into the machines area, because if it's tough to do with uh, static uh, power electronic circuits, how to figure out how to do it in a meaningful way uh, with electric machines is just adds additional challenges. It's not impossible, and I don't suggest that, but it does uh, present some, some additional challenges. And so the idea, again, of facing these challenges of how do you do that in a way that's scalable down to levels that can be done safely uh, on one's desktop uh, or tabletop uh, out in one's home uh, and, and have that turn into to be a really learning experience. I, I think that's part of the special challenges that we face. I mean, there's other issues associated with remote learning that are common to all of us, but I think the areas that really uh, are are very critical to us is to find ways to not lose uh, that linkage to hands-on experience. And I think if we can do that, we'll, uh, we'll weather this, uh, uh, this change that we're going through in, in good shape and be ready for the future. I definitely agree. And to tag along with that, what advice would you like to give someone who is just now starting his or her career in power electronics? Well, Let's see. Now, that's, that's a good question. I, I think that certainly one of the key things that I, I try to instill in any student that I work with uh, as they uh, start their own career, whether they be a master's student or you know, whether an undergraduate, if I have an opportunity to talk to them be, uh, before they leave or, or a PhD student, is, is just to try to instill in them the importance of, of lifelong learning in this field. It's true in every field of engineering, but boy, it's certainly true uh, with uh, uh, with the field that we're working in. And I think, you know, IEEE is uh, playing a very important role in that. So I, I really go out of my way to try to encourage them to take advantage of that and to become members of uh, IEEE and take advantage of what it has to offer. Um, I also try to instill in them uh, um, uh, an excitement about uh, interdisciplinary nature. Again, we're trained in our own areas of specialty. I'm an electrical engineer, but yet I'm working with technology that that really depends critically on mechanical engineering uh, and on thermodynamics, on the materials, on you know, on structural integrity at high speeds, uh, and so. It really is so fundamentally multidisciplinary, and, and uh, certainly as we press limits that, uh, of, say, power density of electric machines, one really comes face to face with that. And so what I try to instill uh, in, stu in students uh, while they're, I'm working with them and as they, as they start in their career is to, rather than trying to avoid that interdisciplinary aspect, but to instead revel in it. Because I really believe that it's where these technologies meet that some of the most exciting opportunities for new breakthroughs really come from that, uh, that area. It isn't always easy to do that because, let's face it, we have to stretch ourselves to learn about fields that, that uh, we weren't, uh, it wasn't the heart of our own training, but uh, both by being open to learning new things as well as uh, developing alliances with others who are experts in those areas and not be afraid to, uh, uh, to, to extend uh, and cross those boundaries, I think is, is really an important lesson for anybody uh, working in, in this field. And the last thing I'll mention is something that I've run into, and maybe it reflects a little bit of the wisdom of my age, but uh, um, one thing I, I would I recommend to my students is don't be afraid of reconsidering, quote unquote, old technologies uh, in the context of new technologies that are coming around, because some of those technologies which were rightfully abandoned or set aside at the time when they happened were not 
it wasn't they weren't set uh, set aside because they were bad technologies, but they were set aside for reasons that that really represented uh, uh, missing pieces that that really uh, were not available at that time. And and one particularly good example of that, of that that I can point to because it is part of my active research right now has been the impact of marrying wideband gap devices, which is really revolutionizing our field, with the concept of current source inverters. I mean, current source inverters once once upon a time ruled the uh, ruled our, our planet kind of like the dinosaurs but then kind of like the dinosaurs they kind of disappeared to the point where I think in many introductory power electronics courses they're hardly even mentioned and so for I think for students who know of anything at all about uh, uh, current source inverters it's kind of like the dinosaurs is that they were around once upon a time and they're gone now but but what has been exciting has been to recognize that hey with the capabilities and and opportunities Opportunities that are opened by these new devices, they they really provide an opportunity to breathe new life into quote unquote old ideas that that uh, really can become new again because of the impact of these new technologies. And, and so I think that's uh, been exciting voyage for me to recognize that myself. And I think there's lessons in there that that uh, uh, I think for all of us is that rather than trying to avoid our past, I think uh, by really learning it well, we can really gain a lot of lessons which can help uh, inspire new breakthroughs as we move in the future and can take advantage of some of the newest technologies that come along. Uh, this was just such an in inspirational conversation, Professor Jens. Uh, I really, really appreciate your time and effort in putting this together and putting your thoughts together and sharing it with, with our audience here. And I cannot tell you uh, like how much I enjoyed this conversation because it's just incredible to hear your uh, your advices, your suggestions, and how you transition from uh, your graduate studies from your co-op at GE and till the day, till this date it's just incredible to hear about your path and a lot of it is looks like serendipity to you but for us it looks like amazing and it just uh, creates an uh, amazing uh, ex listening just to this experience so again really really we are uh, grateful to you and it was a great honor to have you on our podcast today well, thanks so much. I mean, this is an exciting field that we're we're in. I mean, I was excited uh, as a youth uh, uh, getting involved in this technology, and I'm, I'm I still am as excited today in terms of the opportunities that uh, this technology provides uh, to make our world a better place. And and it, it and it's becoming truer all the time. So I, I think any young person who uh, uh, chooses to move into this field, it's just incredible the opportunities that there are to to, to really be involved in something that's important and to be have the opportunity to, to really make a difference and, and, and I look forward to uh, uh, new generations of students uh, you know moving into this field and and uh, breaking through the barriers and, and achieving things that we can only dream of uh, today so thank you again for the opportunity thank you so much thank you so much thank you Kristen not a problem and I'd like to add a special thanks to Megan who is behind the scenes helping us with the logistics for all our listeners out there, it's our aim of the Digital Media and Education Committee to bring you more such podcasts that are inspirational, informative, and useful. Our aim is to have these podcasts available to you via our IEEE PELS website, as well as on Apple Podcast and Stitcher Podcast apps available on all cell phones. Please stay tuned for more. Thank you. And just to add to that, for feedback, suggestions, and recommendations, please send us email at pelsdigitalmedia at IEEE.org. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you once again, Professor Jens. Thank you.